Welcome back to The Andrew Curtis Show. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that I'm very curious, very passionate about. You see, I have been a lifelong learner. I love to read. I love to learn. I've done online courses. Um, I have university qualifications as well. But I've been following with great interest how tertiary study has been evolving or not evolving. Uh, Currently, it's one of the most significant investments that a young person can make in their life. Um, But what kind of return are they getting out of that? Is it providing the value that we want for uh, our young people to set themselves up for the future? And what about for those of us who have perhaps been through university but are now looking to gain other qualifications and things like that? Well, I was very pleased to discover a report that came out on new models of tertiary education from the New Zealand Productivity Commission. And uh, interestingly enough, this report actually came out in March 2017. Um, And in going through it, I was very, very interested in the outcome, so much so that I thought I had to get one of the uh, authors of the report onto the show to talk about it. And so very graciously, Terry Jennett uh, agreed to do such, and he joins me on the program now. Hello, Terry. Hi, Andrew. So why don't you provide a bit of an overview at the very beginning about what this report was about? Sure. So, um, yeah, as you said, this was um, published in 2017, and uh, the Productivity Commission gets given uh, a terms of reference from the government. So this terms of reference was given to us in 2016 by the, um, by the previous government, uh, and the terms of reference asked us to look at new models of tertiary education. Um, and in particular, it suggested that there is... Um, perhaps uh, a lack of new models and there's inertia in the system. Mm. Uh, So it was looking at kind of uh, opportunities kind of for innovations and new ways of doing things and what might be preventing that from occurring in New Zealand. Um, And so this was across the tertiary education system as a whole. So that's everything above uh, secondary school from foundational level courses um, right through vocational education, apprenticeships, um, wānanga, Politics, university, uh, right through to PhD, the whole lot. Hmm. Um, so we had a we had a whole year to do this, uh, and so there was a lot of a lot of um, kind of background research. We looked at international practices. We talked to a lot of tertiary providers, and um, the kind of end result is a is a big long report, uh, which we which we provided to the government in 2017. Um, I should note from the start that we we found a lot of good things in the tertiary education system. Um, so it's it's definitely not all bad. Um, like our universities are, are all ranked in the kind of top top three or four percent of universities globally, and in, in, in the in the ranking systems that exist. Uh, our vocational education system is is pretty well regarded. Uh, we have a Wananga subsector that provides. Um, education to a lot of people that might not otherwise have the opportunity. And we've got a diverse range of private training establishments as well, which are uh, often smaller and offering um, subjects in kind of specialised niche areas. Uh, And and we did find that there is some innovation occurring in the system. Um, But what we found is that it tends to be kind of incremental innovation that just builds on the existing way of doing things. Um, So Kind of upgrading learning management systems and offering Wi-Fi and things like that. Mm. Uh, and we also found that there were examples of kind of teachers and groups of teachers who are really committed to trying to do new things and kind of integrating technology into their teaching practice. Um, but we found that, they, that those kind of innovations tended not to scale up and spread more broadly. Um, kind of think 
overall, we so we, we found that there was some innovation, but we did did see that there was inertia in the system. Mm. Uh, and can, we, can we explore that idea a little bit too? Because I think for those who are who are listening to understand, you know, when you're speaking about inertia, um, how does that directly apply to observations of our tertiary education? Well, we, what we mean by inertia is that we we kind of found that it's it's a, a system of the way that government regulates the system and the way the government funds it, rather than rather than it being kind of an inherent characteristic of tertiary education providers. Mm. So we found examples of providers that wanted to try th- new things and wanted to do new things, but they kind of weren't allowed to by the funding settings and the kind of various quality assurance and other regulations on them. Um, and, and I mean, that, that, that's concerning for a few reasons, because if, if you... If you don't have a diversity of new models appearing, then um, it's, it's going to be a lot harder for students from across the spectrum to find a suitable match for the kind of education that they're looking for. So, mm-hmm. you know, not everyone is, is going to be a school leaver that's looking for a traditional uh, face-to-face, full-time learning experience. Um, and so if you're not getting kind of new models and diversity in the system, it's going to be hard for students to find a match. Yeah. It's going to be hard for the system to adopt, to kind of... Um, you know, um, change and, and adapt as as the world of work and, and technology changes, sure. and just generally, it, it's going to be harder for those just just productivity improvements or quality improvements in the kind of teaching learning experience as well. Yeah. So. Um, well, can we can we jump actually get into that a little bit more than in, in detail just for a moment here too? Because one thing that we talked about in, in the build up to uh, our conversation today was when we're talking about the educational products for want of a better word that are available there's a i guess a bias in the system i don't know if that's the right way to describe it uh towards longer form degrees you know two or three year degrees particularly from universities and things like that is it something you could speak more to for a moment yeah so one of the things we've found is that over the past decade or so um the New Zealand tertiary system is is kind of more like it's kind of reverted back to a more traditional form of education. Um, okay. So the the share of kind of on campus intramural study has increased. Uh, the share of people studying full time has increased rather than part time, mm. and also the average age of the student has been become younger, mm. uh, which is surprising because that kind of contrasts to what you hear about you know, a, a more rapidly changing work environment and people needing to retrain and going sure. back to, to do that sort of thing. So we were pr- surprised to see that we, in, in contrast, the tertiary education that's been delivered in New Zealand is, is a more traditional kind of younger, out of high school, full-time, on-campus study. Um, and and one of the reasons for that is, is again, it came, came back to the, the way that the system is regulated and funded in that... Um, there's a cap on the number of uh, funded students that, that tertiary providers are able to enrol. Mm-hmm. And it's it's much easier for them to fill up their cap with a kind of traditional student that they that perhaps they have more experience with uh, with teaching and perhaps who it's it's an easier student to teach in some respects if they've come straight from high school and are, and are there full time on campus. Um, and so that was that was one of the, the factors we we identified that was driving that trend towards um, towards the kind of more traditional tertiary education model. Mm. Does that create an unusual situation too where 
in my knowledge of tertiary providers as well, the goal each year for every provider is to increase the number of people on their roles. But if you've got a situation where there's a certain cap on the amount of funding that they can receive for that, does that create any kind of imbalances within the system there? Was that something you were able to look at? Well, it, it, yeah, I mean, it created the imbalance, just that there's the system, is, is we found, was very, very locked down. And so hmm. not a lot of funding moved between different providers year to year. Okay. Uh, and so if, if you were a high-in-demand provider that, that was very popular, uh, you, you had a you know, you had a range of courses that people wanted to take and, and, and a good reputation. There's little opportunity to grow. Uh, and equally, um, you know, um, providers that perhaps, you know, didn't have quite the same record uh, would retain the the number of funded students that they were able to teach each year. So what we didn't see was was a lot of shifts between between different subsectors and between different providers. Um and so, so the, I guess there wasn't really the rewards on offer for sure. people looking to try and do something new uh, and to innovate or adopt a new new approach to tertiary education either. Sure. In fact, that I think leads to another one of the issues that I think was, was quite revealing for me to look at too, and I appreciated the insight that was provided. Regarding tertiary providers, uh, in terms of who their customer really is, um, are in many ways providing it for, you know, the, the government is treated as their, their primary customer as opposed to the students themselves. That, that might not be the most elegant way to put that. Is that something you could clarify as well for people? Yeah, I think that's, that's probably fair. I mean, the, the system is responsive to the, um, to the incentives that it faces. Um, unfortunately, most of them are, again, it's, it's controlled by the, the, um, the funding and regulatory settings. So, um, you know, in the system at the moment, um, government allocates subsidies to providers and they then allocate places to students. So mm. um, that system kind of requires students to understand and meet the needs of the providers rather than the other way around. Um, mm. and, and it means that the providers are more responsive to, um, to government in some cases than to students. Um, so, yeah, I think, think we did, did find evidence of that. Mm. Mm. And so in terms of then the, the, you know, ways to improve that, what were some of the thoughts that, um, that you had uncovered to perhaps make the model a little more student-centric as opposed to provide, uh, you know, funding-centric, if that's a better way to put it? Yeah. So we're, we made, made quite a range of recommendations, and they're kind of broken into three areas. So we recommended um, a lot of processes to support um, students uh, and provide them with better information, better prepare them for the transition into tertiary education and allow them to um, uh, move between tertiary providers more easily. Mm. Um, we we also had... Expand a, a little bit more because that, that was actually something too that, that stood out to me too in terms of people's yeah, mobility between courses. Is that something you could just go into a little more detail for me? Um, yeah, so I mean just like as a general um, proposition, we, we thought the students should be able to uh, mix and match courses from different providers more easily. Um, yeah. Perhaps not completely freely. You'd need some, probably some um, checks and balances in place to ensure there's, there's some coherence between them. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, we recommended better um, guidelines around um, credit transfer between providers. Um, 
to ensure that there weren't situations where if you moved city or had to had to shift for whatever reason that you couldn't um, transfer over your learning between different providers. Um, and in terms of the, the kind of information side of things, uh, you know, we, we thought that um, you know, tertiary education, it's obviously it's an experience uh, good. And so it's, it's kind of not until you are there and participating or perhaps even after you've finished the tertiary education that you know how good it was for you. Right. Yeah. Um, which, which is kind of unfortunate if you're, if you're, if you're paying um, big sums of money and investing a lot of time in it. So sure. um, we, we made a bunch of recommendations about providing better information for students um, yep. that's more tailored for their circumstances as well. So uh, so what, what, are the, what have the results been like for a student uh, like me going mm. to this provider? Mm. Um, and we've also made, made recommendations about the, um, the careers system in schools. Um, uh, we found that it's, it's um, it tends to focus on kind of providing uh, you know secondary school students with with information, but not really enabling them very well to interpret their information and make decisions. So um, yeah, it, the kind of school system was outside of the scope of this, but we did see that that transition uh, for those people that were going from school into tertiary was also really important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you mentioned, yeah, I, I might, you know, again, I kind of jumped in a bit at one point as well, but in terms of those thoughts about how to make the model more student-centric, were there any other um, points that you wanted to cover there? Um, that was probably, um, in terms of the, that, the, so there's the information side of things. We also made a lot of recommendations around uh, changing the, the the nature of the regulatory settings and the nature of the, um, the funding settings. Right, okay. Uh, and, and I guess those those changes aim to kind of, um, I guess, free up providers so they so they had greater flexibility in terms of how they responded to student demand. Um, okay. So, as, as an example, we um, one one kind of one kind of issue we heard a lot was um, that the quality assurance regime, whilst very important in terms of ensuring that you know the the type of education that's delivered is of a good standard mm. uh, was also quite prescriptive and time consuming. Um, and and re- there was quite a lot of kind of transaction cost involved in going through the, self, uh, the, the um, quality assurance process. So mm. uh, we recommended that there be a process there whereby um, a provider that has a good track record um, and has been been around for a while and, and, and has demonstrated that they have their own quality assurance processes are, are robust, that they should be able to self-accredit um, rather than going through an external quality assurance process. So wow. some of those recommendations like that, um, although they kind of aren't specifically about um, making it more student-centric, it's about giving providers more freedom um, in, in terms of in terms of the processes that, that right they kind run. of speeds speeds up the process of them being able to roll out new things because it's not constantly falling back for reassessment is that yeah yep. yep and equally we we recommended that some of the restrictions on how um, funding is used be uh, be be loosened so hmm. at the moment when when a provider well when when we were looking at it anyway um, when a when a provider gets funding for a student, that funding comes with a bunch of um, kind of rules around how it can be, what what type of what what, what type of teaching it should be used for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there was some restrictions around short courses, um, 
which which limited the ability um, to enrol in, in kind of bite-sized bits of learning. Right. Uh, and there, was, there was a requirement that students be enrolled in a full qualification rather than just a um, than, than just a single courses. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so so we recommended that some of those um, you know some of, some of those rules around the application of funding be be changed as well. Um, okay. So that just so the providers had had an opportunity to um, to try a few different things. Okay. Well, look, I'd love to talk more about the, the funding side of things in a moment because um, you know I know there's some some very fascinating observations about the way students lo- student loans work and things like that too. But just one other question of mine that that came through through reading here, and I'm not sure if this came up in your study as well. But in terms of the actual assessment of the quality of courses, my observation is that it tends to be. Um, almost like a peer review kind of model where, you know, other tertiary providers and things like that are assessing the quality of other um, programs and things like that. Uh, but something that struck me about it too was in terms of the the student element itself and how much that is or is not factored into the, you know, the, the quality of a particular course. Um, it's almost like, uh, you know, with restaurants, for example, you know, you can have uh, restaurant critics uh, criticizing restaurants, but ultimately you want to hear from other people who have eaten there. Um, so is, is there any thinking around how the actual student experience can also be factored into the assessment of university qualification or all the way down to short course material? Yeah, so in terms of the, the quality assurance, um, for, for universities, it is a um, it's, it is a kind of um, the universities in New Zealand uh, mm-hmm. runs a kind of in-house quality assurance process. Yeah. Uh, and for other types of providers, it's, it's run by the New Zealand Qualifications um, Authority. So, so we did find that that university system, um, it kind of it, it was a little bit reinforcing in terms of um, uh, established view of, of quality and, um, and the, the, that in-house system of quality assurance assurance um in, in our view wasn't um particularly um wasn't really conducive to to innovative or new models mm-hmm. um in terms of kind of uh, the from from the student side of things um we looked at they have um at the moment uh, there is a set of performance indicators which factor quite heavily in in the system around the rate of course completion, qualification completion, how well students progress on to higher levels of study, and and how, how well they're retained, and you know, kind of the inverse of a dropout rate, how well they're retained within a course. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we recommended that some of those, um, some some improvements to those that that make them a bit more meaningful for students. So. Um, we recommended that, that those metrics be adjusted to try and take account for at least some characteristics of the students that are being taught, mm. um, and also some some more. And, and so that would that, that would give give students a, a a more realistic perspective of kind of the value add that they were getting yeah. um, from those indicators. Um, and yeah, so, so I think that was that was the main kind of. Um, main recommendation there yeah okay was there anything as well in terms of um employers um and their feedback or things like that on the on the quality of graduates had that um i mean i can only speak again this is more anecdotal uh but in terms of you know the value that a particular university graduate may or may not bring to the workplace that sometimes there is a feeling that 
there is a possibility for someone to be graduated on paper, but functionally not as useful. That's a tactful way to put it. So um, in terms of, again, that assessment criteria, was that anything that had, had come up at all? Um, again, I'm not sure if it had or not, but this was just on my mind as I prepared for today. Um, yeah, I mean, the, there is... There's, there's kind of varying measures of kind of the satisfaction of employers with mm. with, with graduates, um, and and there's there is a kind of ongoing. There's, there's been kind of calls regularly um, over time for from the closer integration between um, mm. workplace and tertiary education. I think um, I, I think the the tertiary providers often often struggle with that, and that they find it difficult to. Uh, sometimes they find it difficult to get engagement from uh, from employers uh, and get okay, them in, in the system. So I think that that is an ongoing challenge. And I mean, one of the things that we we'd hope to see uh, with with the recommendations that we've put forward in this report is that you'd you'd start to see some new models of mm. engaging with the workforce um, in terms of you know maybe higher level apprenticeships, um, kind of degree level apprenticeships, perhaps. Um, and, and other other kind of work based learning models that that could emerge. Um, yeah, so so I think we'd that that was that was one of the things that we would kind of hope to see in terms of um, in terms of new models. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think that personally, again, my my interest in in this area um, has was partly sparked by realizing that in terms of access to information and the potential for people to learn outside of universities, um, you know, historically it struck me when I considered that one of the main incentives for going to a university even 20, 30, 40 years ago was that the best thing going for a university was just that was where all the information was. Like if you wanted to get information about a lot of complex topics, universities had that. Whereas with the emergence of, you know, the internet now and the accessibility of that kind of information, I suppose that's, is that fair to say that when you're talking about new models and the development of, new tertiary products, uh, reflecting that new reality is a potential way that that could be expressed. Would that, would that be fair? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, uh, one of the things we, we did look at in this inquiry was, was that it was, it was future kind of forward looking. And mm. we looked at, we were asked to look at what, what some of the future trends might be and how the tertiary system might, might respond to those. Mm. Um, and, and we were a little bit cautious about that because it's, you get into trouble pretty quickly when you start making predictions about about sure. the future, uh, and and you 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 don't have to look far to find plenty of um, plenty of predictions that have gone horribly wrong. So, yeah. Yeah. But, but one thing that does seem to be emerging is that you know the um, I guess um, the 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 type of work required if if we're talking about a, a future where perhaps there's more automation um, mm. the types of skills that are required uh, might might start to change in future and so um, it it kind of goes from a, a, a you know having having knowledge might become less important whereas some of the other skills uh, that that might be more important um, as as there's more automation in the workforce things like you kind of you know, ability to interpret and communicate, interpret information and communicate um, interpersonally, soft skills mm. um, might become more important. And so, I think that's that's kind of a a bit of an underlying theme or, um, or an emerging theme um, in terms of the types of skills that there's a real focus 
in terms of trying to develop um, those softer skills and, sure. and trying to integrate them into into training um, and education programs. Sure. And look, I think too, you know, to, to free you from the burden of predicting the future, um, I think too that, you know, this the idea that came across to me reading through the report as well was that when our educational institutions are able to be more responsive and, and develop these new kind of programs, well, even if we can't predict it right now, we want an environment where when the unexpected comes up, because it does, that our tertiary providers are able to respond accordingly as quickly as possible. And I think when you talked about the overall themes of the inertia in the system, overcoming that, from my perspective, is, is the thing that will allow our tertiary providers to actually keep their their product offering in line with what the demands of the current workplace are. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if, if you're not sure what the future is going to hold, um, having having a bit of diversity is probably a good idea. Yeah. And that you're more likely to have something that have some offerings that work well. So, um, I mean, one thing to, that, that we did stress is that there's still, like, definitely a place in the system for a kind of traditional model of, of tertiary education, be it kind of a, you know, like a, a, a full-time on-campus degree-based model or, or something like that. But mm-hmm. um, what we were looking at is trying to, you know, what, what are the barriers to, to broadening that and to making sure that there's a range of options um, you know, A, so that you can get a good match with what it is that a student is looking for, and B, so that you're, you know, you're you're protected to some extent um, against you know an uncertain future and different mm. um, different requirements that might emerge on the system. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, look, um, in the time that we have left, let's let's talk about the student loan thing because we alluded to it a little while ago, and let's bring that back up now. So, when it comes to the funding model, you talked a little bit about the providers themselves, but you can't divorce this topic from the concept of student loans. And currently, we have a system in play where you can get your first year free, and we've had adaptions like an interest-free student loan policy. So, what were some of the findings of your report in terms of how to address this in future? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, this, the kind of student loan scheme, it wasn't a central part of the inquiry, but we did we did touch on it and we did actually recommend in the end that um, the interest should be charged on student loans um, or that at a minimum uh, they should be charged at a zero real interest rate. So, you know, loan balances uh, would be adjusted for, um, for the rate of inflation. Okay, sure. Um, right. And so... That that was kind of an unpopular recommendation, but one that we stuck with. <laughs> really, that was unpopular. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I bet, I bet. Sorry, carry pretty, on. Pretty widespread, but look, you know, New Zealand's loan scheme is quite unusual in that respect. Um, sure. And and so it kind of combines access to to finance with with a, with quite a significant subsidy because yeah. um, because it's effectively a negative real interest rate. Um, and the reason that we didn't like that is that it is is kind of the flow-on effects it has for the tertiary education system. So, given those costs that are embedded in the student loan system, any any move that governments might make to expand access to the system, so to to increase the number of funded places, for example, mm. or to you know to um, to accommodate more students into the system, kind of there's a, there's a there's a set cost there in terms of the fee subsidy that that they um, provide, but on top of that is this built-in subsidy through the student loan scheme. Mm, uh, yeah. And so, 
what we what we saw was with the introduction of the um, interest-free student loans was there was kind of a, a bit of a clampdown in terms of the the um, access to the system just to um, oh sure yeah to try and put a put a break on the fiscal cost. Mm. Um, so yeah, that that fiscal the fiscal cost associated with the loan scheme it, it acted as a break on expansion of the tertiary system to to groups of people that might otherwise um, enroll and enroll and participate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also creates an incentive for government to really clamp down on the um, the types of programs that um, the providers can offer. Um, if you've got a really expensive program that might be a really might be a great program but really expensive, mm. that's going to have a, a commensurately higher student loan cost attached to it as well. So sure. kind of the interest free uh, the cost of the interest free policy tends to be reflected in in a, in, in, in a tighter government control on access to the system. Right. Um, and, and so that that was the main reason that we that we kind of recommended a bit of a move back towards uh, interest on loans. Hmm. The other reason was that that it's uh, it's actually quite quite a regressive policy, and it, it subsidises um, you know the people who benefit most from the subsidy of interest-free student loans are the wealthiest people in the country. So, yeah, tell me um, more about that. That's a, that's a very interesting um, revelation. Yeah. So what, what we looked at was was the. Um, we kind of grouped all of the all of the students participating in in New Zealand's tertiary education system um, based on based on their kind of um, on their their background mm. and the basically that the wealthiest ten um, percent of people participating in the system um, receive twice as much government subsidy for their participation. Uh, than the than the than the least wealthy ten percent. So, wow. in, uh, in what form? So that's that's in addition to student loans. That's what um, other student allowances and things like that as well. Or what what does that cover? So that was the total. Um, that was the total government contribution to their um, to the cost of their course. So, okay. um, if, if you enrol in say a, a degree program, you'll pay a certain amount of fees, but that is mm. also topped up by. A, a, a larger government subsidy to the cost of provision, uh, mm-hmm. and so w- what we were looking at was just the the, the government contribution in terms of the um, the, um, the actual course fees themselves. The, the cost the, the cost of tuition, basically. Okay, right, got you. Okay, thank you. But, but given that uh, given that those wealthy people from a wealthier background were were participating participating at twice the rate, it's probably safe to assume that they were also drawing down on the student loan scheme at roughly twice the rate as well. Mm, um, mm. So they're, they're really benefiting from that. Um, and so um, th- that was another reason that we we kind of um, weren't particularly keen on, on the interest-free student loans. Sure. So when we people think about then access to education being one of the primary drivers for those in lower socioeconomic economic groups escaping that kind of a background. What were, was there much thinking or suggestions that were made in regards to more effective ways of supporting that group without compromising the system as a result? Yeah, so we, we looked at a few options around um, around obligations um, on providers to, um, um, you know, one of the things we looked at was allowing providers greater freedom in some circumstances to charge higher fees, but also um, 
with that would come an obligation to provide a certain amount of um, scholarships or kind of open access for other programs. Oh, right, okay. um, so that was one option we looked at. Um, at one point during the during our study, we, we looked at the option of a kind of a, a universal allowance. Um, mm-hmm. And so basically a, a giving each 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 student, I guess, once they reach kind of 15 or 16 years of age, um, a certain a certain amount of money basically that they could then spend right. on tertiary education at any point throughout their life. So kind of okay. a, um, a fixed um, a, a, um, a fixed allocation that then that then they could could use a student loan scheme over and above that um, if they wanted to do. So so what um, it would almost be like held almost like held in trust for the use of further tertiary education or something in future if they wanted it or is it just yes yeah so that was that was kind of the the model that we looked at uh ultimately that we 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 didn't recommend that um okay we got quite a little pushback just in terms of um some of the some of the prerequisites that you'd need for a system like that to work uh weren't really present in the system at the moment and um and some of the overseas experience with that kind of model hasn't been particularly positive but oh, right um yeah, that was just that was kind of an, an option that we had had explored at one point. But certainly, I think um, around you know, credit allowing providers more flexibility in terms of the fees that they charge, perhaps with some um, obligations around um, greater entry um, eligibility for, for low income or, uh, and scholarships and things like that would be would be helpful. Okay. All right. So, um, look again. I'm, I'm aware that our, our time is racing by, but I'm I'm very much enjoying your perspective on this. So, last last couple of points. Um, first of those being, uh, in terms of the findings that you had, what ones then? We may have already covered this, but which ones are the ones that you feel uh, personally, perhaps you're most proud of, or that you think could be most impactful in terms of improving the quality of our tertiary education here? Uh, that's a good question. I mean. It, this is a little bit of a cop out, but it was um, it was certainly like we saw this as a package that kind of okay. had a lot of these uh, kind of reinforcing. So we we kind of saw the three three pillars around kind of information to support new models. So that's information mm-hmm. to students to help them get the most out of it. Um, the, the kind of getting the regulatory balance right and the and the funding right. Mm-hmm. All three of those working together um, working together. Um, I guess, but particularly, I think allowing more uh, recommendations that kind of allowed uh, funding to move around the system more, um, where the, where there's higher and lower demand, I think is really important. But um, yeah, as, as I said, we, we kind of saw it as a bit of a package that that all worked together. Um, mm. Is yeah, um, so it was it's kind of hard to pick out a single thing. Sure, sure. No, that's right. I'll, I'll let you have that cop out. That's fine. <laughs> um, in terms of then the final question is, is how then looking, because again, I was surprised to discover this had come out in March uh, of last year. Since then, how have you found the report was received? Have you observed any tangible differences since since that happened? Um, so there were, uh, I think there was a reasonably positive reaction to the report. Um, there's There's always some things that are that are more popular than others. Um, sure. We touched on interest on student loans is one thing that was probably less popular. But, um, mm-hmm. but I mean, from our perspective, the way um, the way the way we work is um, 
as we kind of finish up our report and then, then get given a new mandate to work on, sure. and it kind of gets handed over to the government, and so it's up to them to to implement it. And so we'd hope that what what we've done is kind of um, compelling, and that there's um, that those recommendations are taken on board. Mm-hmm. But I haven't really followed the a lot of the reaction to it very closely because. Um, we're not really involved at all in the implementation side of these things. It's sure. um, we we kind of get to give the advice uh, and and then move on in some respects. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there has there has been a formal government response to the report, which is available on our um, Productivity Commission website. Okay. Um, and and that kind of sets out the the, the recommendations that are, that are being acted on and and, and a few which aren't. Um, and so I'm, I'm not entirely sure where that. That work program is at, but I, I think some of those um, some of those things have been some of the recommendations have been implemented. Um, mm-hmm. Others others I'm not sure where they're at. So um, that's perhaps not a particularly helpful answer either. But that's uh, <laughs> that's okay. kind of how how we how we work it. Um, sure. And, and the, um, that once we once we've kind of finished, we we hand over to the government and, and the relevant government agencies and um, don't get involved a lot in or don't get involved at all, implementation of it, yeah. Okay, then, and again, this may be stepping beyond your your reach on these things, so feel free to to um, recorrect course if if need be. But for someone who's listening listening to this now too, and perhaps wants to follow up on some of those things as well, or what what would perhaps be a course for them to follow if they were looking to either follow up with a tertiary provider, or you know maybe if they wanted to go to government over these sorts of things as well, write to their MP or something like that. Um, how would you suggest uh, you know the a typical punter, basically, be it a um, you know a high school student about to do tertiary education, or maybe even a more mature student, um, if they want to engage on this, what would be a way that they could do that? Um, I mean, that, that's going to depend on on what it is they're interested in. I mean, I think um, if it's if they're looking at the you know at enrolling and 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 wanting to be sure about what it is they're going to get out of a tertiary um, qualification or, or a course of study, then I'd I'd, I'd, I'd look at um, you know talking with with the providers directly and and, sure. um, and and putting putting any concerns to them. But um, it, uh, yeah, it would really depend depend what kind of information they're looking for. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm not. I'm not, not not entirely sure how to answer that, but that's all right. That's um, okay. In in terms of the, the the policy side of things, that that's the Ministry of Education um, yeah. uh, is responsible for that side of things. Um, and then, you know, I, I'd say if people were interested in in the kind of the details of, of what what they might expect to get out of a, hmm. a particular program, then then obviously they'd, they'd be best going to a, going to tertiary sure. providers themselves. And look, I think too, going through the report as well, when I look at the, the recommendations that you've made and, and talking about things like, again, how transferable the, the credits are and how the, how the funding system works here and things like that, those are all all great things to be aware of. So look, Terry, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for you taking the time and uh, I'm, I'm aware that we're closing in on the, uh, the, the amount of time we do have for today. So I just want to thank you again for, uh, for making the time to, to speak to me today. Um, and also too, if you've been listening to this and you want to know more about the report itself, I'm going to include a link to the report from the Productivity Commission uh, in the description for this episode. Um, it outlines the, the short version is only about, uh, say, 10, 10 or 15 pages long. If you want to read the long version, um, you're welcome to do that too, but you've got about another 400 pages if you want to do that one. Um, but either way, Terry, thank you very much for joining me on the show today.
No problem, Andrew. Thank you.